Hey, good morning, everybody. Nice, brisk morning. <laughs> it's great seeing many of you during the uh, picnic last weekend, and um, it continues to be kind of cold this week. Man, my, my joints are kind of hurting. I don't know if some of you feel those kind of weather changes, but um, yeah, I'm not feeling the best today. Um, but I know uh, that God is with us. I appreciate our time of worship, being engaged in all this. Uh, let me lead us in a time of prayer, uh, just that we seek God together in all of this. God, thank you for this morning, and thank you for providing us with a time to be here in this state, in whatever we might be struggling with, whether there might be health concerns, um, might it be uh, burdens that we bear on our hearts and our minds, whether we might be just rejoicing after a, a great week of victories, different things that we're going through. We bring it all to you, knowing that you want to meet all of us. Thank you for being here. And we look forward to all that you will reveal to us today in your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Well, we are in a series that we started uh, a while ago. It's called Access 101. We're going through the basics of how God has shaped our church and our story and our value and our vision. Um, so God has been at work in this community for a, a long time. And some of us who may be newer to this context, I'm hoping that this series will help us build a better sense of unity and also imagine how God might lead us together in the future, what God might be unleashing in and through your lives. And so to do that, we're going through this vision. And today, I'd like us to read this together once again, let's recite our vision out loud. Our vision is to be a church, experiencing a deep life with God and others, growing as a faith village, striving for unity in diversity, empowering people on mission, and impacting culture in the way of Jesus. Amen. So today we're going through that middle uh, statement. We are striving for unity in diversity. So a couple of things I'd like to do today. Uh, I'd like to take us to a story in the Gospel of Luke that will help us understand the heart of what we're kind of dealing with, the problem that we see in humanity, and really the heart of what Jesus was after in helping us understand how to live the way of God. And this is what forms this vision for us and helps us move forward as we strive for unity. And then we're going to talk about two questions that have kind of come up over the course of history of our church. Uh, there are a lot of questions that have come up over the history of our church, but I feel like these two might help us to go deeper with God, form a deeper life with God and with others. So that's my intention, bringing these up. And then finally, we're going to do, uh, uh, we're going to focus on the elements of communion, the sacred table and these elements that remind us of our unity in Christ. So we'll get to that. I'll explain more when we get to that point later on. But first, this story in the Gospel of Luke, which some of you might be familiar with, but it always is important to listen well. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So, we're going to take some time to talk through what this story is all about and get some context. So each week during the series, we've been going through the narrative of Scripture, which is how we understand the big story of the Bible. It happens in four parts. Some of this is review for you, but it's important um, as I will add some more detail as we go along today. But in the very beginning, God created everything. He created this universe. He created the stars in the sky. He created our earth, the land and the sea, and he created humanity, right? And he said, when he looked at all these things, he created us human beings in his image to love other people, to take care of this world. God looked at it all over and he said, this is good. This is very good. Now, the second chapter of the narrative talks about our rebellion against God. As we human beings were created initially as good, we unfortunately went a different way. We rebelled against God, and we invited two new realities that entered our soul and the world all around us, sin and death. And these things began to devolve humanity. So last weekend, we looked at our Faith Village vision, and we looked specifically at two brothers, Cain and Abel, who were meant to love each other. But Cain, corrupted by sin and death, killed his brother. He refused to see his brother as someone to be loved, but instead saw him as his enemy. And Jesus is in the process of repairing that for us. But we go on in talking about the fall to this. So God did more in terms of scripture. He introduced two things that we need to pay attention to in the story of the fall. He introduced the promise and the law. So the promise was this. He chose Abraham and Sarah and told them to leave the land that they were in to go and follow him to a new place where he would make them into a blessing for all the nations. He would, in fact, save the world through them. This was a huge promise, and they left family and wealth and all that they had in order to follow after God. Now, generations later after this, God also gave, gave his people, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, the law. He gave things like the Ten Commandments, which we're familiar with. Ten Commandments aren't very popular in talking about religion because a lot of folks who like to describe themselves as spiritual but non-religious hate the fact that there are rules, right? But, you know, if you follow this narrative and you think through what happened to us, that we fell and we fell away from God, yeah, we need rules, we need things to keep our humanity in check. And that's what the law was all about. It was about guarding our humanity against all this de-evolution that was happening because we were falling apart. If you think about it, the Ten Commandments aren't onerous. They're not burdensome. I mean, some of it's just about being, be 
being human. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't take someone else's spouse. I mean, this is like basic human stuff, right? So God is laying it out and making it very clear. So we read later on in Galatians what God was thinking when he gave the law. Paul explains it in Galatians 3. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. So they're tied. Like in that previous slide about promise and law, this is where it all kind of sums it up. The law was given because (laughs) we were heading in the wrong direction and God needed to keep some things still in check for us. And also in verse 24, it says, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. There was always a bigger thing to come. That was salvation in Jesus. So this leads us to that four-part narrative that we have been going through, right? So part three is this. You and I have been offered a connection with the living God. We can be connected. We can be children of God, welcomed into the family of God. We are invited into this because Jesus came to take on our sin and our death. He went to the cross, paid for us, and created a new way to live. Free from sin, intimately connected with God. That's what this table reminds us of. And we'll get to more of that a little later. Finally, part four is restoration. God is in the process of restoring his creation, and he invites you and me to take part in it. That's the mission of God. Okay, so this is the backdrop to the story we just read, where an expert in the law just came to talk to Jesus, and he asked him this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I wanted to lay all this out because this is important to understand the question. This is a question about inheriting eternal life. It is not a question about how do I get saved, maybe in what we might think of in the evangelical church. How how do I avoid hell and go to heaven? You know, he's not really asking that. So he is a teacher in law. He's in the realm of, of God, and he's asking Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher, what do you think all this law is about? Another way of summarizing it um, is this. What must I do to please God and inherit all that God has to offer me? This is a loose translation of what scholars might say was going on with this question. Very loose. Um, So to be clear, Jesus isn't affirming two ways, two gospels. He's not saying, believe in me, and then there's this other way. You just love and get on with it. No, he's still about dying for humanity that we might live, right? But if you want to live into all that God has for you, you better believe it's all about love, which then leads to the big question of this story. Who is my neighbor? This question we need to sit with with just for a moment because this summarizes the problem of humanity 
for thousands of years. This is the problem. And if we dive into this question, we understand that what we've been trying to do with each other is exclude one another from love and goodness, from being inside. This is the rustling of humanity. God doesn't make any restrictions to this, but in our minds, we'd like to. Well, Jesus responds to this, and this is a great summary of what this question is all about. This is from the message. Looking for a loophole, this expert in law asked, how would you define neighbor? Because this, obviously, is a complicated question. <laughs> so, Jesus goes on. In reply, Jesus said, man, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers, then stripped him of, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, um, I think he's pouring oil and wine on him. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I, when he re, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. A familiar story, and uh, as a sidebar, I did see the eye doctor the other week. I'm getting new glasses. My new contacts are coming in this coming week, so this will hopefully not be a problem anymore. But yes, I, 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 I do struggle. <laughs> Let me summarize a story. There's a guy on the side of the road. He's dying. He's been beaten. He's left half dead. All his things are gone. And the very people you'd think who were there to help to bring God into the equation, the priest and the Levite, they pass by on the other side of the road. What on earth is going on? And then a person does stop. Sees this person, goes up, bandages the wounds puts him on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, opens up his own wallet and gives money and he says, I will be back and when I come back, I will reimburse you for all the expenses. And this person, this hero, Jesus says, he was a Samaritan. Now, back in the first century, when people heard the story, it was like 
and an electric shock just kind of went through the audience. Everyone was like, what? <laughs> what did you say, Jesus? It was like horrible gasps. <gasps> what, a Samaritan? To give you kind of some context in history, Samaritans were the actual neighbors of the Jewish people living in that area in that time. And they hated each other. Uh, a familiar Jewish saying of that time was, a piece of bread given by a Samaritan is more unclean than swine's flesh. I mean, that's, we're talking about some real disgust of each other. They thought the other was disgusting to the point where they wouldn't even get free bread for them. I love bread. <laughs> free bread is really nice. Samaritans had this history with the Israelites. So there's this history of, at one point, they set up their own temple to worship the same God, you know, to God, because they have a similar uh, racial history. And then, at one point, because some other foreigners came and demanded that they worship Zeus, they changed the worship in that temple to worship Zeus. So the Israelites were like, sellouts? You can't do that. You can't change the temple of God to do that. And so they were furious, and they hated the Samaritans for that. Um, so eventually, they, they destroyed the Samaritan temple, all right? So really bad blood between them. Samaritans in return, a generation later, during the days of Jesus, came, and during one Passover, which is one of the most sacred days for the Jews, they threw the bones of dead men in the temple on the holy day. So, yeah, bad blood. They hated each other. There was a lot of tension that led to bloodshed and violence. We're talking real, real hatred. And Jesus is using a Samaritan to get his point across. Who did right in this story? That's right the person you would least expect it, the person you hate, the person that you think you're allowed to hate, he showed love. What this parable is basically telling us is this. If you're asking who your neighbor is, you've kind of lost the plot of the whole story of God. You're off base. God wants you to love. Period. That's it. He wants you to love. And this goes beyond all the barriers that you've set up, all the little things that you've put in place, all the questions, the legal procedures, all the different ways that you want to see that person as other. God doesn't see that. He's calling you to love. The question is not who qualifies. It is who has God placed in front of you to love today? How can I love right now? That's the real story. You see, this radical love of Jesus is the basis for our vision and our vision is to strive for unity in diversity. 
And we don't do it just simply because it's the cool thing to do or we think it's the thing that lines up well with culture because everyone's concerned about race these days. No, we do it because thousands of years ago, our Savior, He taught us the new way, the kingdom way, God's way. This is the real human way. And it is not motivated just because you are going to look good doing it. It is because of love. The radical love of Jesus shapes our vision to strive for unity in diversity. It is this radical love of Jesus. The New Testament goes on to kind of expand on this. There's more verses that we could have gone to today, but I wanted to start with love because you just really need to center on the basics here. But later on, Paul writes to the New Testament church, which did all the hard work of bringing unity to different people, to Jews and Gentiles and all the different mixtures that were going on in the church, and he says this. So in Christ, Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What he's saying is this. All these distinctions that the world gives are reasons for you not to be one. But in Christ, they're erased. You are still these things, and God will ultimately have all nations before him in their distinctions. But in practical life in the church right now, We can no longer let these things divide us. We are in Christ. And that identity in Christ overrides everything else. You are first and foremost a child of God. So, I hope that's clear enough, and I hopefully that (laughs) parable gets you thinking in all kinds of different ways. It has certainly got us thinking in all kinds of different ways here to access. And I wanted to bring up a very practical way of looking at things today uh, by looking at two points in particular in the development of our story. Uh, And I hope these questions will lead again to more unity. I know that in talking about things like race or these things, it can be very triggering for some of us, but that's the way it is. (laughs) We're going to do this anyways because this is the love of Christ. We are striving for unity and diversity because striving means <laughs> is far from being realized, but it is important, and we're going to work at this. So in the very early days of Access, you may remember uh, our core, our launch team came out of West Houston Chinese Church. We were a launch team that was maybe like 90% or maybe more, 90% Chinese American. And we were starting to build our identity. We are starting to build out spaces like that. I just thought I'd throw those in there today. That was at one of our first meeting places, and we remodeled it uh, by ourselves. It was a lot of fun. 
and it turned out into this. So on Sunday mornings, we had conversation together. That was part of our worship gathering. We would share from the scriptures, and then we would talk and talk, and then we would go out to lunch afterwards. And a lot of the ways that we went out to lunch together, because this was on Richmond near where Fuller or Houston is now, um, which is just a hop and a skip over to Bel Air Street, right, which is known as Chinatown around right here, because there's a lot of great Asian food uh, down there. Um, so we had this interesting dynamic on Sundays because we were together doing this and we were talking about things like unity and diversity. And then a lot of folks would go to Chinatown to have their lunch. Now, a, a friend joined uh, for about a year and he was non-Asian and he noticed this kind of pattern. He kind of went out one day and he kind of reflected back to me. He's like, you know, Ted, if, if you guys are really serious about this, you know, diversity thing, you might want to think about your patterns, you know, your unconscious patterns about how things go on Sunday. Now, I, I didn't keep a tab on everybody and where they go for lunch. I mean, that's too much, you know. But, uh, but he certainly noticed because he went out with people and he was like, yeah, we, <laughs> we keep going there. So he said, just, you, need, you need to think about this stuff. And so I, I brought it up on Sunday, you know, just for conversation. Really interesting conversation about our unconscious kind of habits. And uh, someone very thoughtful in the group kind of responded back during that time um, and asked this first question that we're going to talk about today, which is this. Will I have <laughs> to hide my Chinese identity so that other people can feel comfortable here? A church? Will I have to hide my culture and who I am? It was an honest question. And it was a question that came from a place of hurt and pain. Because in this person's life, as she began to recount, she's like, because I've had to do this all my life. I'm a, I'm a minority. And I work in an engineering firm, and everyone knows in that firm that unless you're a white male, you don't get to management. Unless you're a white male, you don't get to progress. There's a ceiling for me, and I will never get there. And this is how I've grown up, and this is how I work. Is this going to be the case for our church? Will I have to hide who I am? And this place of pain that this person shared from was just honest. It wasn't accusatory or anything, but this is the kind of wrestling that we've had to do in talking about what does unity look like for us as we strive for this with people of all different backgrounds, different colors, different histories, different experiences? What does it mean for us to... <laughs> whitewashing, right? So uh, that's... Um, and that's Tyler, by the way, and that's his mommy over there uh, painting primer on the wall. So Tyler's growing up quite a bit since then. Um, okay, so we've had majority-minority dynamics to have to deal with. So on the one sense, some of us have lived as minorities all our lives in a majority world, and so we've had to downplay certain parts of who we are in our culture in order to fit in. That's kind of what happens a lot with minorities living in majority culture. And then here in, at Access, because we started the church 
with mostly Asian Americans, we had that story flipped. Uh, Asian Americans were the majority here. So how does that work out for people who are here? How does that play out? And what kind of accommodations can we give each other? The more important thing to be asking ourselves, I think, is this. And this is what we learn from Jesus' story. You see, the most important thing has always been love. How can majority people love minority people? How can we do this as a church? And how can minority people do the same for majority people? How does love stay central to our story as we navigate all these complexities? I don't know. And we don't know all the answers. But we strive for it together with a common understanding that we are all children of God and we are all given the love of God. Okay, second story. Um, so I, know, I feel like I dropped a, <laughs> a big thing for you guys to think about, but I wanted, there's more. Um, so fast forward, uh, 2019, we really started diving into this as a church. We were already here at the Stebbins, and a lot of you were here for this retreat that we had together talking about um, our racial histories and learning to talk through our identities. It was a great retreat, one of the most impactful retreats I think we had. I mean, they were all impactful, yes, for many different reasons. But this one, in terms of race, was really, really, really interesting. And in 2019, I actually got to go on a conference called Sankofa, which um, our denomination puts on, uh, the Evangelical Covenant Church. I went with Pastor Rodney. Many of you know him because he was our guest speaker. He's actively involved in camp with us. His kids are at camp, and some of you may know him from there. Um, so the two of us got to do the Sankofa journey together. And I think Alexis is going to go on this very soon. Um, so we have more of us going to go on this, and I think some more of you uh, may be able to go in the future. It's a, it's a great trip. But the name Sankofa is an African word that means going back to move forward. Going back to move forward. Now, since that time, the world has kind of exploded over race, especially in the United States, right? Because there were a lot of tragedies that happened, especially uh, a couple years ago. George Floyd, I mean, <laughs> there's so much content. There's many more things I can go into. I, uh, but I want to say this. Um, this was a question that came up during that time for us. Several people pulled me aside and asked me, Ted, is it really important that we go back to go forward? Is it really that important? Because as we tell these stories, as you recite some of these, and you said, some of you guys might remember some of my messages from where I was recounting a lot of African-American history in the United States, it was important for us to know. It was important for me to know. Was it important for our whole church to go through this? Is it important now and today? And I've been wrestling with this over the last couple of years. And let me tell it from my perspective as an Asian American man who's grown up here in the United States, from my perspective, trying to frame it through my experiences. So, 
Um, I've been looking at old pictures of Access, and so there's a folder next to it with old pictures of me and my dad. So I pulled these ones up um, this week, and then I started thinking down this road. So here's a picture of, of me and my younger brother Dennis at Christmas time with my dad. Um, this is what it was like for us growing up. It was a very great Christmas. We had great Christmases together. Um, this is a picture on the other side of him growing up. That's not a Christmas tree behind him, but he's with my grandparents and his siblings. So that's my grandfather, who I never met, Grandpa Stephen. And um, they had a very different childhood growing up. So Dad grew up during the World War II era, and when he was growing up, the world was in conflict, in flames, literally around him. So one of the stories I grew up with was this, um, I would ask him, because I, I never knew Grandpa Stephen, because he passed away before uh, I was born, but he, I was like, what was he like, Dad? He said, you know, he, he would go up on the rooftop during these bombing raids when the Japanese came to destroy the place, you know? And he would just sit up there on the rooftops looking at all the colorful bombs coming down. And he never really knew what my grandpa was thinking. I think he just thought, you know, if it's the end, it's the end. Um, uh, he was a seminary professor, as it turned out, also. He was a man of God. Um, but what a different childhood. So my dad grew up with a lot of trauma and fear. And um, one of the things I knew about Dad was he did not like to talk about history. He did not like to talk about the Japanese. I could ask him, but he said, I don't really want to talk about it. It was a, that period in life that he, it was just too much for him. And so I don't have a whole lot of stories of my own to know what, what it was like because it was filled with a lot of pain. Now, recently, I went to a museum in Louisiana. I was with some of my really close guy friends over winter. Uh, some, some of them came here. You guys met, met them. Um, we went to the World War II Museum, and there was a little display in there about the Japanese and Chinese conflict. And over the course of that time, and I did not know this, there were, it was atrocious. There were, like, war camps against the Chinese, right? had no idea the number of Chinese that were killed in World War II. It was around 10 million. And I think that just blew me away. I just I can't fathom that. And just a small glimpse. <laughs> I'm going to fast forward this. <laughs> so I've been thinking about this question in my head. <laughs> hey, what if dad joined our faith village? I mean, he passed away years ago. But I've wondered this recently. I think he'd like you here.
but would I ask him to go back to go forward? I think yes. <laughs> I would want him to. I want to know for myself. I think it's important. But as I've been wrestling with this question, I've also been wrestling with another question because of the story that I was studying this week. <laughs> Because God, I think, would maybe ask me to ask a different question first. What would be the most loving way to treat your dad? With all his complexity, with all his history, with all his... um, Losses? I don't know. But I think this is the more important question to be asking. And then we can ask all those other questions that we need to ask too. But if I start here, I feel okay. And I feel like we're going to be okay. If we start with love, I think we start with where God wants us to be. And if we stay with love, then we know that the unity that we strive for is not in vain. It's just a picture of what God is going to do in all his fullness for humanity. And it's going to be beautiful. Sorry, I kind of lost my way today. <laughs> um, in finishing this message, <laughs> I'm really glad we have this because it will <laughs> give me some focus. Um, Today we're going to wrap things up with uh, the communion elements, with the blood, the cup, and the bread, which represents the body of Christ. And these things remind us and they teach us that in Christ we are loved, we are forgiven, we are set free. And we have a new unity because we're given a new identity in Christ. We are children of God. And as children of God, we are all family. We're a faith village together. And we'll figure these things out together as we move along. Let's read the scripture together. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine himself before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took these elements, and we're going to remember them. I'll give you some time to pray and to process, to come up at your own pace. The worship team, if you guys can come up and lead us in song, it'd be great. Um, These are um, the elements, the gifts of God.
And remember this. You are in Christ. In Christ, you receive forgiveness. In Christ, you receive new life. In Christ, you are deeply loved. And in Christ, you can love others deeply. Amen. Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in And the Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all that he has made. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. This is from the west, and that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Praise the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And the Lord is good to all, and he has compassion in all that he
God, we thank you for your amazing love to us that welcomes us in, in spite of our sin and our broken ways. God, we thank you that we have forgiveness, salvation, and renewal in you. So we go forth from this place in the confidence of your love. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand together this morning and let's say our sending prayer. Loving God. Through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, we will see you soon. See you next time. Um, God bless.